This episode of the Proper Mental Podcast is brought to you by Running Fundamentals, which is a new strength and mobility-based training program specifically for runners. It's from Movement Restored, and it's really good. And I know it's really good because Movement Restored is my business. That's what I do alongside Proper Mental. I help people to improve how their body moves and how it feels, and I help people to solve pain problems or to work on sports-specific movement or general injury rehab. And over the last few years of doing this, I've worked with hundreds of runners, maybe even more than a thousand, and I started to notice that most runners present with very similar problems in very similar places. And it doesn't really matter if you're running miles every day to train for an ultra, or if you're running socially at a park run once a week with your mates, you're using the same anatomy when you run as everybody else. And every runner has the same muscles and ligaments and tendons that are used when they run. And it's the repetitive nature of running that causes problems in these places. So Running Fundamentals brings the movements that I use to help with most running-related issues all into one place. And the focus is on building strength and increasing mobility, which will ultimately help you to spend more time injury-free, which in turn lets you spend more time in your running shoes. It's a one-time purchase and an instant download. And all the exercises have detailed instructional videos. You don't need any equipment and you can follow the exercises anywhere. There's also a guide to building your own program in a way that will complement any existing training and the program itself is suitable for all levels of ability, fitness and experience. All you need to do is go to www.movementrestored.co.uk slash programs and select Running Fundamentals. As it's a new product, it's currently available at a discount rate for a short time only and there's a link to that in the episode notes as well. Thank you very much for listening. Let's get back to this week's episode. Welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalizing open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Proper Mental Podcast. Welcome specifically to episode 125 of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Sally Orange, who is an endurance runner, an adventurer, a public speaker and a mental health campaigner. And strap yourselves in, right? Because I think this could be the most impressive intro that I've ever read out. So are you ready for this? Sally holds 11 Guinness World Records. She has ran over 70 marathons, completed eight Ironman triathlons, and she's also completed 22 years service in the Royal Army Medical Corps as a physiotherapy officer, which included an operational tour of Afghanistan. Amongst other things, she's captained the first British female team to complete the relentless race across America, which is the world's toughest cycle race. She's also ran the toughest foot race on earth, which is the Marathon de Sables in the Sahara Desert. She cycled the length of New Zealand, swam the English Channel Relay, and she skied across the largest plateau in the Arctic Circle. And most of these things she has done dressed as various pieces of fruit or vegetables to raise awareness around mental health, to break down stigma and to start conversation. And I think the most mind-blowing thing 
in all of that is that Sally didn't run her first marathon until she was 34. And in this episode, we talk about that. We talk about why she started running and how that led to running a marathon, which led to running loads of marathons all over the world. We talk about her own lifelong mental health challenges and how she balances looking after herself with taking part in these endurance events. We talk about her fancy dress and how she uses that to start conversations around mental health. And we talk about her 22 years in the army. And we also talk about her most recent challenge, which is the World Marathon Challenge, which involved running seven marathons over seven days on seven different continents in seven different fancy dress outfits. So yeah, we cover a lot of ground in this episode. It was amazing chatting to Sally. Some of the things she's done are absolutely incredible, but it was really incredible to hear the story behind them. You know, the mental health journey that she's been on that kind of underpins all of this stuff and yeah I was just blown away by all of it I came off this recording just wanting to put my running shoes on really and if you've listened to the show for a while you know I've got kind of a hate-hate relationship with running so for someone to inspire me to go for a run well it must have been a good chat right all the links to everything that Sally does is in the episode notes there's links to her socials links to her website and there's loads of info there about the upcoming challenges some of which she mentions as part of this episode if you want to get hold of me you can find me on social media you can get hold of me via the website. Go and have a look on there. There's loads of stuff to read about the uh, the podcast and me and previous guests and all that stuff all on the website. More important than all of that, if you could take two minutes to rate and review this episode or any other episode, all that stuff is really, really important. And I'd really appreciate it if you could do me a solid and make that happen. Other than that, that's everything you need to know. This is episode 125 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Sally Orange. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast and my guest this week is Sally Orange. How are you, mate? I'm good, thank you. Lovely to, to chat with you today. Oh, mate, thank you for joining me. I really um, appreciate it. What's the um, the snow situation where you are, mate? You know, looking out the window, there isn't any at all. So wow. I, feel, I feel very left out. Um, but in a few weeks' time, I will have more snow than anybody because I'm going to the North Pole. Wow, is that the kind of the next challenge on the on the horizon? Yeah, that's the next marathon um, at the North Pole. So, uh, yeah, it's a shame I haven't got any because that would be good training. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lo- lovely seeing people making snowmans and all, all that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We've just had a message through this morning that the school's closed, so I've got the kids home and everything. So if there's any uh... back- background noise, it's chaos downstairs. <laughs> But, uh, but there we go. I suppose the question you always get asked whenever you have sign up for like a new marathon or a new challenge is, have you got the outfit sorted yet? I have. Um, I do often get that. Uh, but yes, I have got it uh, sorted for this one. And I'm going to be a slice of lime. So I'm going to be ice and a slice. Ah, yeah. So last, last, this, this has actually been um, cancelled for three years in a row. Uh, but last year I still went to Svalbard, which is, um, you know, part of, part of Norway which is where you then fly to the North Pole from and I went there last year and skied across from coast to coast of of Svalbard carrying everything in my polk and I did that dressed as a slice of lemon so I was ice and a slice on skis so I now thought I'll be ice and a slice um, on on top of the world 
Yeah, yeah. Do you? Um, this is probably a really daft question, but the co- costume you you wear, um, do you wear a different one when you're in those temperatures? Like, do you have it like lined or uh, you know? No, does it just, I no? no, I haven't. Um, I don't have them live. Although this one, a little bit like when I did one in Antarctica. Well, I've done two in Antarctica now. I did one dressed as a pair, so that kind of did encompass my my head in it. And I I do like telling people that I got my nice pair out in Antarctica, and their minds wander onto different things. Um, but I also did a pod of peas a couple of weeks ago because I knew I was going to be frozen. So I was I was frozen peas. Uh, but this lime, again, does sort of encompass my face. So it is a bit of a windshield. Um, so whilst for a lot of people, they might think it's a hindrance, it potentially will be um, a help. It's not the most aerodynamic, but uh, let's face it, I'm not going for, you know, the fastest marathon ever being in uh, in the North Pole. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Any like little uh, little help and little advantages will take it, right? Yeah, very, yeah. very much so in those conditions. Well, I've got my ski goggles on and, and everything. And actually in Antarctica, when everybody had, you know, you've got ski goggles on, you've got buffs over your nose, and you couldn't tell who anybody was. Um, everybody knew who I was because there was this great big pod <laughs> of peas running along. And, you know, on the video, everyone knows who who I am. And the photo, you know, photos are really, really good to spot yourself. So, um, yeah, I bet for, like people maybe, on, I don't know, the support crews because I was going to say people watching but I'm, I'm sure the streets um, aren't, aren't lined like they are <laughs> no it's not quite like London Marathon but yeah people probably you know see you coming coming around the corner and think it's some sort of like ice mirage you know like I've been out in the cold too long I'm seeing peas floating around the place <laughs> and Sally there's going to be people listening to this who were thinking what the heck are they talking about so let's rewind a little bit and I thought probably the best place to jump in is kind of at the start of your your running journey um have, have you always been a, a runner is that something you've always been been passionate about I as a child um I did quite like running um but then unfortunately at the age of 16 I went ice skating for the day and broke my leg um and I was in hospital for a month because I had to have metal work in it and and unfortunately when I was in hospital my my boyfriend at the time who had actually fallen on my leg when we were ice skating he went off with one of my best friends um, while I was in hospital so it wasn't the greatest time of my life and I that was 16 and I didn't then run again until I was 34 um, so it's it, you know back in the day as well I you know the marathons weren't a thing really I remember watching the very first London marathon and thinking wow I want to do that one day and then I just had this fear that I would never be able to do that you know I just saw these people as just incredible people how could they ever do that Um, and I remember a friend's dad doing that first one and seeing his medal and just you know thinking that he was you know absolutely incredible and she brought his medal to school and um, and yeah so it it took quite a long time after and before I before I did it but when I did that one my very first marathon I decided to do it dressed as a supergirl so as a superhero and I can honestly feel when I crossed that finish line I felt like a superhero for for the first time in my life probably and yeah that feeling never I, I can relive live that feeling if, if I want to um it's you know it was so powerful and I ended up getting the Guinness World Record for the fastest marathon dressed as a superhero so that was a an added bonus as well uh, yeah. kind of where it first started oh mate so you really did you know you started from from scratch really and I always think that's important to to mention because we you know we see people do like you know I think anyone who runs a marathon is amazing right I just think it's an incredible feat and we see it on telly and because you see 
thousands of people running it on telly. You think that thousands of people are running marathons. That's just not the case. It's an incredible achievement, right? Um, and when people run lots of marathons, like yourself, we forget that, you know, you weren't a born a marathon runner, right? You had to start at 34 and, you know, probably I'm, I'm going to make an assumption here, Sally, but maybe went for like a short run and it might not have been that pleasant, but then you have to put your shoes on and go again and build up to it. And the whole process to it is a, it's a big thing, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, and, and I'd say probably even breaking it down even more, it didn't start with the first run. It was a, a walk run. So, you know, thinking, right, I'm not going to be able to do that that far so it's it's breaking it down and going well, what what can I do and if I've managed that before what can I do next I'll just add a little bit on um so and I, I always say to people who are doing their first marathon you know so many people worry about time or or other people it's not maybe the people who are doing the marathon but other people will say what time are you going for and I you know I have never gone for a time so I just tell people that I'm going for the time of my life uh, because for me, it's about the actual enjoyment of the marathon. It's not about how quickly I can get them. For anyone doing their first marathon, it's going to be a PB anyway, because they've never done it before. So, um, yeah, that's that's how I, I look at it. And that, for me, takes away the pressure of, you know, the anxiety of, you know, putting you know pressure on yourself and and then potentially feeling like you haven't achieved, because if you haven't met that that time then people can feel like a, a failure and they can beat themselves up so I try and take that out of any of the the events I don't even call them races because a race makes it sound as though there's going to be a first second and third whereas an event um we all get a medal everybody who finishes the um you know the marathon and it doesn't matter if you've done it in two and a half hours or whether you've done it in six and a half hours you still get the same medal yeah, that's it. It's such a lovely way to look at it. And you're right. People do make such a fuss about the time. It's something that I, I notice. Um, I work with a lot of runners, you know, in my in my day job. And people always say to me, and I, they'll come back after the race and I'll say, oh, you know, how did how did the, the marathon go? And they'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, it was good. I mean, it wasn't the fastest. And you think like, don't don't play down what you've achieved. You've been working at this for months. And, you know, it, when people say it's not the fastest, you want to say, well, I'm, you're not Mo Farah. I wasn't expecting you to come back and do it in three hours. No one was, you know, it's, but we, we almost take that away from ourselves, the feel good factor. It's like, we don't want to celebrate the achievement, right? We're not very good at kind of bigging ourselves up. Right? We're, we're certainly not. And I've been, um, because I've been all around the world, I've met people from all around the world and, you know, Americans are, are brilliant in that they will wear their medal for the next two or three days and they'll sit in a restaurant wearing their medal. And so people will ask them about it. Whereas, you know, we're British and we think, well, we can wear it on the day of the marathon and maybe go to work with it the next day. Um, but then, then that's it. I mean, mine are just in a box or, you know, all my medals, they're not even people say, oh, you know, are they out on show? No, they're just in, just in a box. Um, so that's why I like the memories um, that, that I've got. And you might as well make it a positive memory rather than a, um, you know, a negative one of, oh, I didn't get that time. So, uh, yeah, it is it's just turning the situation around, I guess. Yeah, very much so. I often think as well about training, particularly for distances, right, is you can you can kind of take that that mindset that you need to be able to to go and do 20 miles on a Sunday when you really don't want to, because you did 18 last Sunday, right? <laughs> you know, when you really don't want to, you can take that mindset and apply it to different things. Because a lot of people don't think they're going to be able to run a marathon until they cross the finish line. 
and then they do and then maybe a job comes up at work and you think oh they're not gonna I'm not gonna get that and you think well hang on a minute I didn't think I could run a marathon and I did that so maybe I can do this and that that sort of that mindset it builds doesn't it it kind of changes how we see ourselves certainly does and and you know really good point there because when I was training for my most recent challenge which was the world marathon challenge which was seven marathons on seven continents in seven days you know, I thought I'm, I'm not gonna be able to do this and I then got injured and I had a stress fracture and I couldn't actually train so I thought right I'm going to use that train uh, use that time to train my mind and sort of build on my my resilience so I contacted a, a resilience coach and he used that exact concept it's called the cookie jar concept and it's a it's a from David Goggins who is looking back at Putting, what what can you what cookies can you put in this jar? What previous positive experiences have you got that make you realise you can do things? So you know a marathon would be a great example to go in there. And and when you're finding things tough, so on the World Marathon Challenge, I had to dip into that virtual cookie jar on several occasions to tell me, yeah, but you did this before, Sally. So you can do this, you just need to, so you get that almost that sugar rush of the virtual memory um, to, to push you forward. So I use that, you know, quite a few times. And now in my cookie jar is the World Marathon Challenge because I, that is something else that I've achieved when at times, you know, I, I didn't think I would. So that's another cookie in the jar. Yeah, you can't argue with the facts, right? And when that yeah. voice in your head is 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 at you and it's lying to you, then you can't, you can prove it wrong with the, with the facts but how did you kind of how did you go then from like running one one marathon to doing you know seven 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 challenges was it just a case of on to the next because most people run one and they say never again and then and quite often honestly, do it that again, right? was my exact words as I crossed that finish line of that very first marathon never again and but then it, I think it's that you know that type a fun that at the time it's maybe not the you know not the easiest and most most you know the best thing at the time but you finish and I think it's what people say I don't have children but it's like childbirth uh you know you you still go back and do it you know it might be the most horrendous thing but you still go back and and do it again because you forget that part of it and your brain is it's clever it's cruel it's you know sometimes it'll make you remember the difficult things um but other times it'll wipe out all the memories of the pain and yeah, just just can see the positive parts of it and makes you think, hey, do you know what? I, I want that feeling again. Um, so I after I'd had that never again, I thought, yeah, you know, I want to do that again. But I have only ever had charity places for, for the London Marathon. Apart from this year, this year will be my 10th London Marathon. Um, and it's I, I've got a ballot place. So I'm still doing it for charity, but I haven't I haven't got the pressure quite so, so much. Um, and yeah, I kind of thought, well, how do I raise money? I've, you know, I've already raised loads of money. How do I do it again? I'm going to have to do something almost bigger and better. So that's where I thought, oh, I'll run as an orange. My surname's Orange, and I'll run as a piece of fruit. And um, got the fastest marathon, you, you know, the Guinness World Record for the fastest marathon, dressed as a, a piece of fruit. And and it, it was fun. It, you know, people smiled. It was really nice to make people smile. And I ended up going to the next year, going to Afghanistan and um, getting a banana sent out, a banana costume sent out and doing a marathon in Afghanistan dressed as a banana. And I kind of just kind of realized that 
yeah you know I had a friend do that one in Afghanistan with me and she was at the time um trying to get a time to do the Commonwealth Games so a, you know really really great runner and she said to me after the marathon which she did with me she said that was the most fun marathon I've ever done so it kind of made me realize that there was a different way of doing you know of doing marathons and then there became the more um the more serious side to the the costume because I kind of realized that when you're in a sea of you know thousands of other people who are dressed in their their shorts and t-shirt and you're dressed as a apple orange banana or something bright then first of all it made them smile you know when I've never gone past anyone who's kind of you might get a few strange looks but people smile and then they ask you why and I realized it was a really great way to get the message across about what I was wanting to raise awareness for so and that is breaking down the stigma associated with with poor mental health because people would say why and I tell them I'm trying to break that stigma and more often than not somebody will say I've struggled or I know someone who's struggled and it really subtly starts that conversation in a way that they never thought coming and asking an apple or an orange that they would start talking about depression or or suicide and it just normalizes that conversation in a really subtle way and if people don't want to talk about it then we go back to talking about the costume or the race or the running so it's just an opening for for people if they want to to make them realize it's fine to talk about it um but I think if I had a t-shirt on me that said come and talk to me about mental health some people would um but others would would run a mile because they they wouldn't want to do it um so yeah it then just became a really um fun way um in, in the sort of the message behind it but also how how I go about it and not putting that pressure on myself to um to get a certain time and just the more people I talk to the more stories that I learn about I like finding out why other people are doing doing things sometimes I might be able to help motivate somebody through you know if they I find them sort of walking um you know just a pat on the back saying you know you're doing great um can be that inspiration for someone to go yeah I just can do this again so um yeah it's just such a such a powerful medium really um in in a really growing community of so many different people yeah it's a lovely way to kind of like I suppose Trojan horse it into mainstream conversation and that's that's so important I often I've say that like versions of this on this podcast a lot but the mental health conversation it tends to happen for the majority um with people who are already comfortable having it you know, so it's very easy for me and you to sit here and talk about it. But what about that person who hasn't had that conversation, who, who doesn't have the words and is getting told messages all the time to talk about it and they don't know how and they don't know where and they don't know who to, right? So to have that 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 in and and I think talking about these things in, you know, outside of um, like outside of mental health spaces. So it's not in the doctor's room. It's not in the therapy room. It's not, you, do you know what I mean? To be like, you know, yeah, running a race or, you, you know, like out in the, in the normal world that really is normalizing these, these conversations. And it, it can, yeah, brings people in who might not get that opportunity to have that conversation if there's not an opportunity for them to, to join in in that way, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, you know, I was speaking to someone just before and I was sort of explaining to them that we, they were asking me what would you say to somebody who was was struggling and I know that we all say talk reach out um but actually listening is a really powerful tool as well because 
the people that recognize that you're not doing so well are usually other people that recognize before yourself and they will quite often say why well, you know is everything okay and you know there are there are those signs but we we push them away because we don't want to you know so often we don't want to accept that potentially is a problem so I think it's really important to listen to those people that might be saying you're not quite yourself at the moment or um yeah you know so so I've realized it's really, really powerful for somebody who's unwell to listen as well as to, to talk. And I think the listening becomes before the, the talking um, because we don't realize ourselves all the, all the time. Um, yeah, so. that's so true, isn't it? A lot of people, they don't know. They don't know what's happening to them, particularly if it's new or if it's something that they've kept secret for a long time. They don't really know what it is. That was certainly my experience. You know, people say to me, why didn't you say anything? It's like, well, I didn't know what was happening. You know, I didn't have the words. I, you know, it wasn't on my wasn't on my radar until it was on my radar. You know, yeah. and yeah, like you say, I think sometimes we can learn how to how to speak for ourselves um through like through hearing the experiences of others right borrowing other people's words you hear one person say one thing and you think oh, i really relate to that that's how i will describe what is happening to me when i speak to someone else it's um you know it's such a it's so much more complex isn't it than just telling people to talk i suppose yeah and you know i think that's exactly what you're doing with with this podcast it's it's getting people to listen uh you know you're getting people to listen to other people talking but the power of this podcast is is actually on listening rather than than talking yes you've got one person talking but you might have thousands i'm sure in your case uh tom you've got millions oh millions yeah to this, yeah uh, to this podcast and yeah it's it's the listening that that might get people to hopefully reach out and talk um in in the future but also i think it's really important to know that there's um there's different avenues as well there's, there's time you do not want to talk you don't want to um you might need know that you need help but shout is a really great um medium where you can you can text and you can just talk to somebody that you don't know via text which is something that we're most people are sort of comfortable with with doing um i certainly know when i've not been well just getting that text at times well when we know the science behind it you get the the oxytocin the the rush of hormones that somebody's you know somebody's reached out and somebody's just thought about you and certainly at times that has got me through some really bad days um, where I haven't wanted to, I haven't spoke to anybody, but at least I've had a text. I haven't even replied, but I've had someone think about me in, in that day. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's what suits, you know, different, different people. So when we're not all talking, not everybody's a talker anyway. Some people are, you know, they, they don't like social situations of having to talk to other people, but they might be quite introvert, but they like listening um so yeah very different and powerful communication tools in both listening and talking yeah definitely i think it's just why there's a support it's so important in the mental health um like all the different supports and the charities and stuff that's out there is you know there's just the variation isn't it so there's something for everyone because there's loads that i look at and i think you are doing amazing work but i wouldn't use your service and that's nothing against the service it just it wouldn't work for me personally but if there's so many and i spoke to um i've got a pal called john salmon who i met through this podcast who's a wonderful campaigner and he said something to me he said that um 
the signposting is the new awareness, you know? So like letting people know about shout and about these organizations. Cause again, you don't know about them till you usually till after you need them when it's too late, you tend to find out about these things, but there's some wonderful people out there day in day out doing incredible things in their local communities. And, you know, people just need to know about them. I think. Yeah. I think, you know, just an, an analogy of what you were just saying there. It's like, it's almost like walking into a clothes shop that we're not all going to want to buy the same clothes when, you know, they won't all fit us. They won't, the size or the, the approach or the style won't be us. But if you've got an array of them and you kind of have them presented to you, you can then choose which of those would be, would be best for you and which, which suits you. And um, I've raised money for over 50 different charities now. And, and some people say to me, well, do you not feel a bit disloyal because you're raising for, you know you don't stick with the same one and that's that's who you always raise for and you know I've said no because actually I get to learn about a new charity um and what they do and that means then that I can signpost other people to what feels applicable to to them um so you know it's been just an enriching and learning process finding what the different different charities do they still all resonate with me but just in you know in in different ways so um yeah it's 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 very interesting yeah it's just comforting isn't it knowing that these things are out there it's just really really um it's just really nice it's just really really comforting eh but um you mentioned your um your own lived experience there sally and um, when did that sort of start for you mate when did you start to struggle um initially with your mental health oh i've i've struggled for over 25 years now um so i think it was when just after i'd well, if, if I think back um, at the time, I, you know, I struggled with exams and that was exam stress. And, you know, just that that's what it was called. Um, then I ended up joining, joining the army and, you know, I put more and more pressure on myself. Um, and I suppose you've got lived experience of how you've been brought up, of how you should sort of deal with, with different situations. And it was always sort of bubbling under the under the surface. I mean, anxiety I remember at four years old, um, you know, sitting on the stairs, wondering when my, you know, mum and dad would come, you know, when they've come home and worrying that they've been in a car accident. And what if they didn't come? And just that has just always, always been with me, the the anxiety. And I was just called a worrier. You know, that's I was just known as a, a bit of a worrier. Um, but over time, it was more than just a, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a worry. Um, and now that I've had help with that I've can manage those situations better but I didn't have the tools when I was when I was younger to to manage going into a you know something where I didn't didn't know anybody or um you know the fear of of doing things and you know don't get me wrong fear is is really helpful in in some ways and I think a brilliant film um for people of any age to to watch is um Inside Out I don't know if you've ever seen it yeah yeah children's film but it just shows that all of these emotions that we have are are useful if we have too much of them then that's when they can become a problem um but you know if you have too much happiness it you know even that can it's the same as if we have too much rain or too much sunlight um but yeah I think my I think it was actually in 2013 when I'd had quite a few patches of feeling suicidal, but this was just on a, and that would maybe last for for a week and I'd just be in bed crying, but this was a completely different level on 2013. And um, 
yeah, you know, I I'd sort of made plans and you know things were were very very different um and, and I, I I couldn't function um it you know I had to be looked after um it, I was close to to getting sectioned but I, I wasn't actually wasn't actually sectioned um I had the the help of the the crisis team um which pretty much saved my my life my GP and my and the crisis team did did save my life no no doubt about it and I I've found myself back in that place a couple of times since but I think I've now just got much better coping strategies that I start to feel myself going downhill you know before I'd explained that it just felt like I was just walking off a cliff and I didn't have a slippery slope you know people talk about um they can feel themselves going down for me it would be feeling okay one minute and then the next minute I was I was suicidal but now I can start to recognize and there's a couple of triggers that make me think if I don't feel great I'll think have you taken your medication have you had some sleep because they are my two worst things that I know that if I put them right then you know think things are um things are likely to to get better and if it's there if they're still okay then I need to tap into you know maybe I do know to book another therapist session you know I still see my my therapist um you know once once a month um which you know at times it was two or three times a week so that's that's progress but actually I have no no shame if I called them a coach you know it's, it's the same thing really but the fact that they're called a therapist um if I was to say I saw my life coach coach once, you know, once a month, no one would think anything to that. And they would actually think, gosh, how positive you see, you know, you see life, you're, you're looking at your personal growth and, you know, actually a therapist is doing, you know, a very similar thing. They're just giving me the tools to um, sometimes tools that we've learned before, but I've just forgotten about. And they've said, right, you need to get that one back out again. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, do you remember? No, just remind me um and yeah so I see that as almost like a personal trainer you know as a the, the physical equivalent is a personal trainer in that we can do a lot of it ourselves sometimes we need a personal trainer to train us in the first place to then say off you go do it on your own but you'll get into bad habits and you'll forget some of the things that you were taught so you might need to go back to that um that personal trainer um so yeah just the word therapist has stigma attached to it but if we called him a coach it would be a positive thing yeah that's so true it's such a good point and I, I love that about um about forgetting those tools I do that so often myself you know I very very similar Sarah, uh, Sally I went to I started therapy because I was in crisis and now I go to therapy like partly halfly because it, it keeps me well in the other half because I quite enjoy the sort of exploration I think it makes me better at being all the things I have to be it makes me a better dad and a better husband and all that sort of stuff you know um but yeah quite often uh, someone will mention something on this podcast and I'll think I used to do that. And when I did it, I swore by it and I don't do it now and I should bring it back, you know, or yeah, talk about something in therapy. And I said, when did I stop doing that? Cause that's really important for me. And we do, don't we? Some we're spinning all these plates and sometimes we just, some of those plates stop spinning. 
it's it's uh, you may you think that I'm a real fashion person I keep talking about clothes but how often do we forget the clothes that we've got in our drawers and then we'll suddenly find one go oh yeah I really like that why don't why don't I and then that will be the flavor of the you know of the week or the month for for a while but yeah anything that we haven't you know you 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 use it or you lose it um because it's not at the forefront and our our brains are designed to they can only hold so, so much stuff and and on that point I I also have learned that when I'm not very well everything becomes very hazy and so now on my phone I even have to have a list of the things that make me feel good because when I go into that dark hole I can't even see that I can't even see who are the people that I I call it just becomes this nothingness of negativity and well there's no one who will listen and you know I can't do nothing makes me feel better but actually when you if I do something now and it makes me feel good, that li- that goes onto my list. So, you know, and, and that's a varying degrees of, you know, maybe, you know, having having a bath or um, or, or changing your clothes. You know, the, the things when you don't feel that great and you're you're in, you know, you might be in bed for, for, for a week um, and you think, oh, I can't bother to change. You know, you just fester. You re- really do fester. But actually then just putting on, you know, something different can yeah or, or even just cleaning your teeth you know how much better do we feel for cleaning our teeth um but there are times when you just think I, I can't I always think this with a hangover as well actually I think why don't I just get up and have that drink of water or oh, because actually getting to go and get the water would uh is is too much hard work even though you know that the water and cleaning your teeth will make <laughs> you feel so much better <laughs> it's so true is you kind of you can see it on the side yeah. but the idea of getting up is just just too much but yeah I, I think, think actually that's I've only just literally come up with that but that is possibly a way for us who have experienced it there's you know you might have people listen to this podcast that they haven't got a problem themselves but they're maybe with somebody who has a problem they don't understand it and they might be able to understand it a bit more by talking about that hangover scenario that you know what will make you feel better but actually, you know, getting to do A and B to get you to C is is so so hard. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's something that I might use to sort of explain to people how it when they say, "What do you mean you can't get out of bed?" Uh, or yeah, you run marathons, how can you not get out of bed? Um, and they, they just can't see the you know how how the two can go together. Mm. It's so easy to forget the importance of those like one percent things, isn't it? That you know that thing. Um, you know, again, I had a, a guest uh, called Dr. Mike, and um, he talked to me about that. That those one percent things, you know, those little things, and you add add up those one percents, and it makes a huge difference. And you know, you can kind of all you need to do is kind of just take care of yourself through it, right? You know, ride it out, and that's a. You mentioned the, the cookie jar before for when you're running, but it's the same, isn't it? For when you're, when you're in that hole, is you need proof that you've done it before and you can do it again. It's kind of like the same thing, I think. And I think we we actually end up getting that proof every single day because we've got through that day every day. We wake up the next day, and you know we've got a hundred percent success rate of getting through each day. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's a great, great way to great way to look at it. Yeah. You mentioned medication, you mentioned sleep and therapy. There are other things, Sally, that kind of helped you from that crisis point as you started to to rebuild. That's um, always the interesting bit for me, you know, because I kind of think like 
I don't know. I don't know if it serves people listening to, to, to dwell in the sadness. I don't think that helps. And sometimes we jump too quickly from the sad bit to where we are now. And it's the middle bit where people kind of get stuck. But how did you kind of, you know, it sounds like you had a lot of like uh, support, you know, through the GP and stuff like that. Was it just a case of just working those systems to get back on your feet? There were so many other things as well. When I, when I look back, um, you know, medication that, that took years because I try some and some made me, um, well, first of all, it was getting over the stigma of going on to make medication. I didn't, didn't want to do it. Um, you know, and I know, but I, I know that with physical, you know, my background is actually as a physiotherapist. So I know with physical injuries that people often don't want to take painkillers because they say, yeah, but the, the pain's there to remind me that there's a problem. So I don't want to mask it. It's just masking it. Um, and I have to explain to people with a physical injury that by taking the medica- the medication, it takes the pain away so they can do the things that will help them. So, so moving, moving often helps a joint get better. Um, and actually they'll get to the point where they no longer need to take the, the pain relief. Um, so yeah, first of all, it was a case of lots of different, um, different medications and and even that was difficult because some would make you feel worse before they make made you feel better. And that that's hard to understand that concept of of how that happens. And then it didn't go straight to, to therapy. Um, you know, actually, it's, some of them was was group therapy, um, which was just the most daunting thing, um, you know, of having to go to a to a group. But in some ways, it was really useful because I didn't have to speak. I could listen to other people. So it, I wasn't, you know, it's that stepping stone, really, to get to before I actually told anything about myself. Um, you know, I was perhaps hearing other people say what they, how they had benefited. Um, so, yeah, the, you know, the, the group therapy and then the the individual sort of talk talking and you know I spoke about coaching before it's it's all a spectrum that you've got coaching and counseling and and therapy and um you know counseling you don't get it's basically you just having the opportunity to voice things that are on your mind you know a counselor will not actually or they shouldn't give you um examples of what you should it's kind of you working it out yourself but I think a therapist is when you're probably more unwell and you you do need the help in what tools there there are but a you know a coach or a therapist or a coach is more about helping you work it out your yourself um but I definitely think they're all on on the same you know continuum um and then exercise um you, you know I would say that running has has saved my life um but there's times when I've not been able to run. And so it's walking, you know, even even just walking um, and quite often just reframing things. There's been times when I've walked in a marathon and I've been beating myself up because I'm walking. I'm in a marathon. I should be running. But then I've had to reframe it and go, do you know what? There are some people who would absolutely love to be able to walk this course because they can't. So there's always somebody worse off with than you. And there's always someone better off than you as well. And just um, trying to not compare yourself. I mean, com- comparison is the, the thief of enjoyment. And, and I can say this now, but I was having a session with someone, um, you know, with my therapist on Monday about not comparing myself because 
quite often you're comparing excuse the pun but you're comparing apples and oranges they're they're totally different so they're never going to be the same but we still yeah we still compare ourselves and that's where things like social media are awful for that because when we live in our own world we become happy with what we've got and then we're suddenly exposed to oh well they're doing this and they've got this and they're doing that and it makes us feel either inadequate or um oh you know we haven't got that and I haven't I should be doing this I should be doing that quite often we don't want to be doing that and what different people see as successful is is different to all of us as as well so you know that that theory of you know a family and a nice house and a nice car and a great job half half the time they're the most miserable people ever and you can see people who literally have nothing and I, I often see this in in countries like Africa um you know they have literally nothing you know no shoes they're doing the same clothes that they've been wearing they're they're dirty but they have such community and the biggest smiles on their faces because they don't know any different and they just um yeah you know they just go for the simple life and I, I think sometimes a simple life is is a happy life but we the more complex it is the the harder it is to to navigate I guess yeah very much so isn't it it kind of it takes us away from those core core things of of community and you know those things are really really important I often mention those as things as being good for my mental health you know and we tend to when we talk about stuff that's good for mental health we go for the you know the low-hanging fruit you know yoga sleep exercise all this stuff really really important but yeah there's stuff like like community isn't it and like um, you know, you talk about comparison there. I think it's really good to kind of work out what you value in life and what you, you know, how you want to, how, you know, what your core beliefs are, and then start to think about whether you're living your life in alignment with those. Because if we're constantly looking at what everyone else is doing, we can lose sight of what we want our lives to be. And when there's a gap between, you know, how we're living and how we really feel we should be living, that's a, a gap we can fall down sometimes as well, right? It is like, you know, I just wonder why schools don't teach the values, um, you know, and sort of allowing young people to tap into what their value, what matters to them. You know, it's not the PlayStation or it's not the, um, you know, or even algebra. You know, when have you ever used your algebra? But it would be good to have known what my core value, what, what matters to me and to live my life in alignment to that. Um, and I think that would stop a lot of, problems if people could just recognize well that's fine that's their values that's what they do but mine are this and I'm going to stick to to that um I'm I'm very honored to be uh one of the national ambassadors for the army cadet force and you know the the services I, I served for 22 years myself in in the army and you get taught some core core values and you know I think for you know some of the young people that are cadets they've got those core values and they're they're really great young people and citizens and then actually once they've learned them they they push their boundaries a bit more um and once you do that you you grow and grow so um yeah I think that's something that you know maybe maybe that's up to parents to to do um but if it was reinforced in schools rather than it all being you know academic and um, you know, how many parents will say, oh, you know, little Johnny's got, uh, you know, these grades or he's got, you know, he's got this and that. Well, do you know what? Is he happy? Um, you know, can they talk to other people? Um, you know, it, it's not 
it's not always for some people that's that's great and that's fine but we're not all the same none of us are the same yeah that's it it's when the you know a lot of problems occur when we try and um you know when there's this i suppose it's like um for a basic analogy it's the whole like uh i can't think of the right the right phrase but they're like the square the round hole of the square but yeah yeah yeah. you know once that sort of stuff starts happening you know it it causes people a lot of problems isn't it there's one system not everyone fits in that system and you know the people that don't fit are made to feel less than when in reality the system's at fault that is exactly you know my therapist this is one key thing that one therapist um kind of worked through with me and she said have you do you know about the the salad and the lemonade bottle and I thought my god I'm I'm worse than I thought I was I'm, I'm really you know, I really am in, you know, in not in great place. And she said, she said, you know, there's nothing wrong with a lemonade bottle and there's nothing wrong with the salad. They just don't, you just wouldn't put lemonade on your salad. And for me with the army, this took a long time to recognize that, you know, actually, yeah, I, I, the army was the salad and I was the lemonade bottle and it, I just didn't, didn't fit um and I've probably grown more since I you know have I've been able to do more and be more of a me um you know running running as a piece of fruit doesn't fit that well with being in in the army um you know there's you there's a hierarchy there's a discipline and if people don't like that they'll they'll stop it um but actually I'm on my own person now so um but other people are the lettuce or the tomato and so they do fit in the um you know in the salad of, of the army so yeah it's working out if you're a, a lettuce or tomato yeah <laughs> or it's a lemonade what, bottle yeah sounds like she's given you some good uh, suggestions for future uh, outfits <laughs> just, as well though I just distinctly remember um that that conversation and always having to sort of go hang on Am I trying to fit into a salad that, yeah, am I trying to fit into a fruit salad or a or a vegetable salad? Yeah. <laughs> and that's where if you're a tomato, you're actually a fruit and uh, people think you're a vegetable. So wisdom is knowing not to put uh, a tomato in a fruit salad. There you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I get a bit of fruit in everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I um, Was that a, a big decision for you, Sally, coming out of the army then? Was that something you had to kind of... Um, it was you know. it was difficult because it wasn't my decision. It was it was taken out of my hands because I was deemed too unwell to continue um, to continue in the army. And somebody said it's just not the right environment for you. Um, and I I battled against that against that because it had been you know for twenty two years that's all I'd want you know I'd wanted to do and been around and been a part of it, it was such a big part of my life um, that. Yeah, it wasn't something that I wanted. And, and I'd achieved in that time as well. And, um, you know, when I was well, when I'm well, I'm, I'm good and I got promoted and, you know, I got to the rank of major. Um, but when I wasn't so well, um, it wasn't understood, you know, I don't think. And, you know, as somebody who cries a lot, I basically have learned that if I'm tired I'll cry if I'm angry I'll cry if I'm upset I'll cry that emotion I think when I was younger I wasn't allowed to be angry you know I we need anger you know if something frustrates you you go up to your bedroom you slam the door I'd get told off for slamming the door so I then just cried and it seemed to be okay to cry so it was it was hard to be the officer that was crying all the time because that doesn't fit with you know how you should how you should be yet you know, guys were 
possibly go out and punch someone um, or something or so, you know the amount of patients I'd have with their hand they'd come in and they'd punched a wall or something and that's just you know that was their anger it's just that my anger was in was in crying and and people could see that um, and yeah it didn't serve that vulnerability didn't really serve you know in, in where it was but at the same time my job you know I wasn't an infantry soldier I was a physiotherapist so for me, understanding others and understanding the emotions that they go through, um, you, you know, that, that that's an important, important thing to to do. So, um, yeah, it was it was difficult. It was a really difficult time. Um, but that's the cards, you know, that's the hand that I was dealt. And once I'd kind of got over that and accepted it, I, I think for me, it was quite lucky that I was then asked to be the national ambassador for the army cadets because I still have a link in with that world but I'm still my own my own person so now if I'm talking to a general I haven't got to be a, I can I can be Sally I haven't got to be major orange um so I, I've still got that link to it but in, in a in a slightly different way it's just adapting um, yeah, yeah had you asked me a couple of years ago I yeah I'd still be in a really difficult and dark dark place about it but I can look back now and reflect and see that I've been able to do okay yeah. in situation. Oh, mate, it's lovely. I think, you know, identity is a big deal, isn't it? And, you know, we, it, when we do something for a long time, it becomes part of us. And then when that's not, not there anymore, there's a, it's almost like, it's almost kind of like a grieving to it, yeah. I think, those big changes, right? And you just have to, grief is a, a, a process that just has to kind of do its thing, right? You just have to sit in it and, and wait for things to, to change. Yeah, you, you know, know? The, the acceptance doesn't, mm. you know, doesn't come, you know, straight away. And um, so, yeah, you know, I think it definitely is a, a grieving person, a grieving situation of who you were and what you are now. Um, and, and that takes time. You know, I was thinking this morning that, I mean, how often do we hear that time is the greatest healer? And you just think, I don't want, you know, I don't want to have to go through this. Um, but yeah, it, it serves its purpose. And if we can help other people learn from our experiences, then sometimes it can stop them getting to that to that point in the first place. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do with, with the fruit is just sort of saying to people, it, it's okay. And it's okay to get help. Um, and actually, if you get help, get through that process a lot a lot quicker because you've got someone to help navigate you um rather yeah. than yeah having to fight it all by yourself yeah definitely and you know that reminder that there can also be something really really lovely on the other side you know it's not a case of like getting through something and then having to constantly get through it or constantly worrying about it coming back you know that lovely things can still happen you know you can still do wonderful things it doesn't um doesn't hold you back like you think you, like you think it will when you're in it when you're in it you think that's it i'm done i'm you know i'm never gonna see like brightness again yeah. um, but you really can right and you really uh, yeah and I, really I think can. that's where where my my name suits that because <laughs> you know the future's bright the future's orange <laughs> that's it mate yeah completely <laughs> I, I really wanted to ask about like these challenges some of the ones you you know you've done the the particularly long ones you know and we you know we've mentioned these things that are good for uh mental health things like sleep well when you're running seven marathons in seven days on seven continents i'm guessing your sleep quality wasn't the best you know and a lot of the things that 
um, most of us as humans have to do every day to be mentally healthy are probably not possible when you're in these in these challenges. So how do you how do you balance that out, Sally? You know, when you're when you're in the moment, you know, and I'm I'm going to guess that there's some sort of some dark times along the way in that moment that you just kind of have to sort of grind through, you know. Yeah, I, I I knew that sleep deprivation was going to be, you know, I looked at the situation, I thought, what do I think I'm going to find difficult? And so with the resilience coach, I kind of, you know, worked on visualizing how lack of sleep is going to affect me or what can I do to to really maximize my potential to be able to sleep. And if I wasn't sleeping, what I could use in my head to be telling me that it's okay that I'm not sleeping because I'm resting. So it was used, you know, using the brain, um, but but I think I actually a lot of the time used my illness, that deepest darkest time in 2013, as a powerful thing of going. You still don't feel as bad as you did then, so you got that was my cookie jar. So almost my illness is in my cookie jar as a as a positive now because I can go. You got through that. I don't know how, but you you did get through that. Um, so. Yeah, and it, I think it's just quite often reframing the situation as well. So the the one marathon, um, I cried for mile eight. I was in so much pain with my stomach and I, and I just cried. And that's where I was there going, doesn't matter that you walk in. Some people would love to be able to walk this. And yeah, just to try and reframe um, some some of those things. But it, 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 took, it took preparation. And then some of the things that I hadn't expected to be a problem so I I'd mentally prepared for the lack of sleep but I hadn't prepared for a stomach bug so you know when um the coach had sort of said you know what what are the things that are, you know that are worrying you and we'll, we'll work on how you can overcome them when they happen we hadn't done that for a stomach bug um and yeah so then but I had to use the tools that I'd used before with the, the sleep um of you know of sort of the tools were exactly the same whatever the situation um but yeah it did it did make it make it tough but now I can I can use that to say I've 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 done this um and and to be honest that has it's a month on now from when I did it and that's only just starting to starting to sink in um because I've struggled with a few things even since since coming back um but yeah getting getting there now yeah, because that must be a come down, right? To ask that much from your your body and your mind over you know a long stretch of time, and then you know like you you fly home and it's all done, and you know twenty four forty eight hours after crossing that last finish line, you're in your kitchen, you know, and you're Sally and yeah. you're having a cup of tea. That it's quite it's a big shift, right? It, it is, and I um I I didn't really feel the high from it, which sounds because I guess. The thief of enjoyment I was comparing myself with with others that you know other people had raised more money than I had um and so then I'd turn it into a bit of a negative that um you know I hadn't I hadn't raised loads of money but then I had to look and go well like hang on what was I what was I there to do why was I doing it it wasn't necessary I mean yes that was one part of it raising money but it was raising awareness and um yeah you, you know again going back to back to the values of you know I hadn't set out and said right I need to I want to raise a hundred hundred thousand um and that's 
what was holding me back from from enjoying that I, I've done a lot of adventures now to know that there is that post-expedition blues but I I manage them better um because I know that they're going to happen so again I've learned from experience to you know not book anything in too much to to try and keep going you know to have a period of actually you need to just take this in and recover and um but also you know to to a an everyday person it's the same with a holiday you know we go on holiday and you start to come towards the end of that holiday and you're like oh god I've got to go back to my real life and um then you you have a bit of a lull when you get back because it all comes back the normality of life so what I often did was just on the plane on the way home I'd be going right where do I want to go next what's my next holiday going to be what can I work work towards you know I'll save my money to be able to go here so it gives you purpose again to to that next holiday accepting I am going to feel a bit rubbish I've got the washing to do when I come home and you know work will have piled up to uh you know to catch up with everything when you go back in and you'll open all those those emails um but it doesn't have to be a challenge I think we all have that that lull of a you know after a holiday and you come back and you should be on top of the world but and you were in a day or two and just everything comes back to, you know, comes back to you. Um, so, yeah, I, I just don't think it has to be has to be a challenge. Um, and just to make it more relatable to to everyday people um, and everyday situations. Yeah, it's that acceptance, isn't it? You know, we've, we've kind of touched on that before, but it's so important, whether it's a, like a, a period of low mood or whether it's a depressive episode or whatever you're going through the kind of, you know, rather than trying to trying to wrestle it into being what you need it to be, or sometimes you've just got to just accept and just, yeah, just do the best you can and and, and ride it out. And that yeah. is one of the therapies that I have found, um, you know, really quite useful because there's CBT, so cognitive behavioral therapy, but act so acceptance and commitment therapy is actually what I've had to had to sort of learn um, and so you know exactly what you're saying it's accepting so when that thought comes into my brain of um or oh, you didn't raise you know you didn't raise much money I raised over 12,000 pounds so it's all a you know it's a sort of a you know a spectrum but kind of going uh, thank you thank you thought um it's this old story here's the here's the raising money story coming again thank you very much um I know that you're there and thank you for reminding me but I don't need that at the moment um and accept it not as you say not trying to fight and I, I remember my my sister once telling me when I was in you know one of my difficult times she said it's it's like it's like the monkeys in the cage and the banana and you can put your hand in the cage with the banana and be holding it one way and you will not get out that banana will will not get out but if you turn it around another way the banana comes out of the you know out of the bars that that are there it's, it's the same situation but it's just changing how you go about it how you look at it and how you deal with it yeah I love that mate that's such a nice way to uh yeah, that's such an it's that frustration of not being able to get the banana through the bars. You know, I think so many people will relate to that. And then a simple flick of a switch, um, yeah, can can yeah can kind of make that make that happen. Oh, amazing! I'm going to start to bring this home, Sally. I'm really uh, conscious of your time today, mate. But I wanted to. I'm going to finish with a, a really big obvious question, and I bet you get asked this all the time. But I've got the opportunity to ask it, so I'm going to. But out of all the um, incredible adventures that you've had, is there any like moments that really, really like stand out for you? Whether they're like good ones or bad ones, is there anything that kind of like springs to mind? 
Um, I'm going to tell you one which is quite a funny one. Um, so it was when I was doing the, the Marathon de Saab. So it was uh, six and a half marathons um, in the Sahara Desert, carrying all your own kit. Um, and on the fourth day, it was a double day. So you had to do two marathons back to back. Um, and I'd been really unwell. Um, I, on the first day, I had sickness and um, was vomiting everywhere. And then on the second day, um, I had diarrhea. So this is still having to continue move, you know, moving forward. And then on the third, of course, you get your feet are getting blistered because you're in sand and, um, you know, walk, walking through, or walking, running through through sand. So on the third day, you, you, sl you sleep under night uh, under a canvas with a couple of other people. And um, I, because I hadn't been well, was really thirsty. So I had um, I had some water in the middle of the night and I I thought, oh, it doesn't really taste right. It, you know, it's warm, but everything's warm in the, um, in you know, in, in the desert. And so I drank out of a different bottle of water. And then the next day um, we were getting ready to go and I saw this bright orange bottle and I said to my friend I said um, I said oh what what electrolyte drink are you using because I hadn't seen you know one with that color and he went oh no no you don't want to drink that and I said oh and I realized oh, mate. that he hadn't had the decency to take 20 steps out of the tent um, to go for a pee and he'd actually used his water bottle um to to go a pee and so uh, yeah I had drank his pee and so when I realized everybody just burst out laughing and um then the next tent laughing because they could hear all these people and it kind of went round in like a bit of an echo um but actually at, at the end at the airport someone I didn't know they said to me they said oh you know how did you find it I said oh pretty epic first day I was sick second day I had diarrhea Third day, I drank my temp HP and they were like, that was you. They said, my goodness. <laughs> they said, you got me through the marathon de Saab because anytime I was thinking to myself, this is really tough. I just thought, at least I'm not that girl who's drank her temp mates pee. So, <laughs> so that, that is one, uh, yeah, one situation that I do definitely remember. Um, but I often tell it to, to young people because you never know when you're inspiring other people. And that one person said, you helped me and you inspired me to, to carry on because I knew that I didn't have to go through what you'd gone through. Mate, there you go huh that's brilliant yeah just got that person across the the finish line without yeah. even knowing it yeah <laughs> oh mate that's wonderful so you mentioned very briefly at the start we mentioned your next um challenge sounds like the conditions are completely opposite right so instead of the sahara sahara desert it was the north pole you said Sally. that's yeah. right yes and is that yeah. a marathon again marathon distance? it is yeah yeah marathon, wow. uh, marathon at the north pole but again i just feel that what a privilege how many people get to go to the you know to the north pole so you know i i want to get my money's worth i don't want to be quick i don't want to go uh, you know be first because you haven't experienced it so I, yeah, it. I'm going to get my my money's worth and you know I'll see other people doing it and you know look around me and just yeah appreciate how how lucky I am to to be there 
Yeah. When's when's that happening? What's the what's the date for that? Time? Um, that is well, it's my birthday on the seventh, so I fly into Svalbard on on the seventh. I think it's actually the ninth. We have a few race briefings and about the flight over to actually to the North Pole. Um, so so yeah, ninth or tenth, weather depending. Yeah. Oh, mate, that sounds like a, a wonderful experience. And I wish you all the, all the best of it, mate. And, oh, um, and all the best of everything. I've enjoyed chatting today so much, Sally. It was really, really lovely. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you for, for having me on, Tom. It's been really, really great to chat with you as well. Oh, super. You take care, mate. A big up to the proper mental podcast. <laughs> the proper mental podcast. <laughs>